someone in my life shared with a friend, like, I think I might be on the spectrum. And their best friend was like, oh, I wouldn't tell people that. And that pissed me off. <laughs> what? Welcome to the Tano podcast hosted by me, Danielle Gray, founder of Train Like a Gymnast. This show aims to help formerly competitive athletes succeed at life after organized sport. Tenno serves a community of recovering perfectionists and high achievers who want to become their best selves through discussions about mental health, personal development, movement education, setting expectations and boundaries, as well as limiting beliefs. If you're hearing this message, that means there's still space left in our 2023 Bali retreat. All you got to do is go to trainlikeagymnast.com slash retreat to learn more. All of that information will be in the show notes and we hope to see you there. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the Tenno Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it works this time. No no Mercury in retrograde, yes. right? <laughs> um, your eyelashes are very eyelashy. And I feel very, very eyelashy. <laughs> well, I felt under the weather the past few days. And for me, like a life oh. hack is just putting on some makeup and I feel better. So yeah, yeah that's what's going on Feeling right like now. a functional human being. Yes, yes. that's what I... <laughs> I was like, I wore makeup yesterday, so I don't need yeah, to today. Once that's a month that's how we good. should do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to talk with you about some of this stuff. Um, for those of you who don't know, Erin is a friend of mine, but we originally met at Equinox um, and we were coworkers. We were both personal trainers there. And we've shared a lot of memories and experiences together. We also went to Tony Robbins together oh and God. had some life changing experiences there. Um, yeah, so we're both a little spastic, but calm, but also sometimes get uh, sensory overload. So this, if, if you relate to any of this, you're not alone and we're with you. Yes. Yes. There's more of us than we realize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And that's, I think that's, what's so great about like my group of friends too. It's like all of a, a bunch of us's. Yes. <laughs> And so when we're all together, it's like we can sit in silence and be completely. <laughs> we actually prefer it. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Oh, okay. So let's get into the actual fun stuff. Um, it, what I've been doing in the beginning of each of these interviews is a this or that. And just like a rapid fire choose, you got to choose one. Uh, it's only five questions and then we'll get into the kind of background. Oh, maybe I should do, let's do a little background on like who you are. Okay. Cause yes, I said we're coworkers, but tell people who you are and then we'll go into this or that. Okay. Oh gosh. Um, who am I? Um, so where do I even start? I guess I'll start with, uh, where I'm from. I'm from Minnesota originally. I've been in Los Angeles for gosh, 12 and a half years now. I moved there to dance professionally, ended up in fitness. That's when I met Danielle, uh, then changed careers again. I mean, a few times actually, but I landed in tech three years ago. So I became, um, I was a tech sourcer in the recruiting org at Snapchat. And then I moved into a technical recruiter position. And then as of August, I was part of the 20% of layoffs at Snapchat. And now actually starting on Monday, I'm starting a new job and I will be kind of coming back into the fitness industry, which is, I'm so excited about it because I get to use my fitness background as well as my recruiting background, but I will be the head of brand partnerships at a startup. It's a, it's a, like a health and wellness travel company that was successfully launched during COVID. So I'm really excited to, to start that one. I am a neurodivergent human. I am on the spectrum. I have OCD, ADHD, 
all the things. Um, I've had quite the mental health journey having been suicidal back in 2014 and then just ever since then really trying to figure out um, you know, how to love myself and how to understand myself better and, and also understand that the way society is set up is not set up for people like me and you. Um, so really just trying to now educate more people on what life is like for us. And um, yeah, big, big advocate of mental health and, and all those things. So uh, I'm actually in Austin, Texas right now. Um, my best friend just built a house here. And after the layoff, I was like, screw it, let's live somewhere else temporarily. And then I'll be back in LA in January. So that is me. You're like actually coming, coming back in January? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yay. Now I didn't know yeah. that. Um, and yes, you're on the spectrum. I feel like you are very mildly on the spectrum so that you like, you have the ability to talk about these things and create the change versus it being so debilitating, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, that's what's, what's great about it because that is what a spectrum is. Just like Kinsey's scale of sexuality, like there are varying degrees of these things and the ones who are not so far past the point of, oh no, it's hard to make the change because they're trying to just like kind of survive. That's why I, I like to be able to hear things from both sides, but in a way that can, can kind of make progress. Yeah. So let's get into this or that. Cool. So training or competing? Competing. Car or bike? Car. Upper body or lower body? Upper body. Core or cardio? Core. Okay. Chipotle or tender greens? Chipotle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's surprising. I was that uh, really, you know, like you do cardio so much. I feel like you just, That's more for know. like a, I know I have Maybe. to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So, um, you came to LA to dance professionally, right? Mm -hmm. So explain your athletic background growing up and what led you to that. Obviously it was dance, but kind of like what kind of dance and, and that background. Yeah. So there's really not, I don't know. My family isn't the most athletic. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, I stick out a little bit. Uh, I think my parents were not really sure what to do with me at the age of three. I was very shy. Hello on the spectrum. Um, and so they were like, Oh, let's just put her in dance. And you know, I loved it. And then came my first dance recital. They thought that I would get on stage and be one of those kids that cried or peed themselves <laughs> or like, you know, something like that. And my parents said that I got out there and I was like, yeah, and just so into it. So they were like, okay, this is strange. So I just really felt that I found my people in dance. I am a very creative and expressive person. So that's really all I did um, with athletics my whole life. I tried other things and I'm not good at anything else. Um, so after, you know, I, I was a dance major in college. Most people went to New York and did Broadway. I'm extremely tone deaf, I can't sing. So I was like, Broadway's not for me. And so I went to LA and that's where I really expanded my repertoire of styles of dance because I was classically trained in tap jazz and ballet. And then I was exposed to like some ballroom and hip hop around the age of 16. But then when I moved to LA, I did more, um, I did more hip hop and ballroom and jazz funk and burlesque and really expanded that way. So, um, at one point I just did not feel dance made me happy the way that it used to. I don't know if it's because now 
this is a career, money is tied to it. It just shifted my, how I viewed it. So now I would rather dance just because I love it, not to put a roof over my head or food on the table. So that's when I really started to explore, like what else am I gonna do for a career? Um, and I didn't really go to the gym much. I was one of those people, and maybe you can relate, to, I would go there and stretch. I didn't touch <laughs> machines, I didn't touch weights, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I did have my first trainer after my freshman year of college, just because my college weighed us and I saw a lot of um, unhealthy uh, things happening and I, I never worried about my weight until I went to college and I didn't want to get like an eating disorder or have like an unhealthy relationship with my body or food. So my mom was like, yeah, hell no, that's not happening. So I got my first trainer and just, just to understand the basics and, and how to move more functionally in a gym with equipment and weights. Um, so that's where I started to just like the gym more. And then um, around the time that I was suicidal in 2014 is when I really got into the fitness industry because I worked for Lululemon and I was exposed to more things, different types of classes and different ways to train. And I just realized that this actually made me really happy and feel better about myself. And then someone that I worked with had competed before and I saw a picture of her and I was like, wow, you look so good. Like, what is that? And it started off as like a bucket list item. Like just like give me a short term goal to focus on to get me out of this depression or something. Um, and that's, that's really all it was. But I ended up falling in love with it because of like the, not just being on stage and like having the performance aspect, which yes, that's amazing. And I love it. But the process of it, like how, how I got to see my body change, how I got to try different things with food, with training. Um, it was not like a one size fits all uh, approach. So I was really exploring different ways to improve physically. Um, and then kind of like the cherry on top was being on stage. And so that's, that's how I ended up competing. Yeah. yeah. And, and what year was that? 2015 is when I went on stage for the first time. Yeah. Okay. So with that background from, dance into fitness into you know competing and specifically bikini right you didn't try any other nope. categories okay um what did sports actually teach you like what in your life came from sports a lot of um being dedicated extremely regimented um and then like consistency was a really big one. I think that, you know, not bodybuilding's not for everyone. I understand that. But for me, I felt like because of my dance background, a lot of that translated into competing because I had to be like very specific with everything that I did. So it really taught me like that work ethic, you know, everyone's genetics are different and they do play a major role in you know, everything that we do. However, like you have to understand your genetics and, and figure out how it works for you. And so like, it was the same thing with dance. Like my hips were not flexible at all. So I had to figure out other things. Like I'm, oh, I'm really good at this. I have like, I'm a jumper. I can do that, but I can't turn to save my life. And so it was just like a lot of this, like figuring out, um, how to succeed in your craft and just like a lot of that came with like that hard work, the consistency, like I, I did make a lot of sacrifices as well, but it was, I, I guess I can't say 
sacrifices because I was okay with choosing this over that. Um, yeah. Which remains the same in competing. Amazing. So with all of that, what did sports not teach you? So a lot of times, you know, we will go to school and we learn X, Y, and Z, but school didn't teach me what a mortgage rent was or how to do taxes or all of that. Right. But it did teach me X, Y, Z sports taught me X, Y, Z, but it didn't teach me this, which I think it could have taught me if something were different in the culture. I think that like going back to my dance years, I didn't feel that I really learned how to one find, I don't know that you can ever find balance, but more like harmony in things that you do. Like going back to me saying like, I made sacrifices. Yes. But there are also times where it's okay to choose to hang out with your friends one night over like taking an extra class or something like that. So that really mm. transition and something I still struggle with. Um, and so mm -hmm. it, it didn't, it didn't teach me that harmony with all the things that I enjoy doing in my life. Um, mm -hmm. so I would say that that's the major one. Um, the second one is the, it, and again, this was more dance focused and probably the beginning stages of my fitness career, but self-love did not teach me that. And, mm -hmm. and maybe mm -hmm. I, like, I can't speak for all sports, but for dance, like I am in front of a mirror and I am critiquing like my body and I am, you know, like, and then I get to college and I'm being told like you're four pounds overweight. So you're getting an A minus in ballet. Like, you know, and, and so it really starts to get to you and you're like, I'm fat, like I'm not, you know, this and that. And so that was also the, the same thing with the beginning stages of competing because I, I didn't have the support that I needed in terms of coaches um, and like teaching me like, hey, these things are going to happen in the journey. Like when you step off stage and you're now in improvement season, if you're not careful, you will put on 25 pounds in like a week. It's crazy. And then that's that you don't have that self-love there. And so really understanding like how things work and like how to prepare for these situations where like, yeah, you're going to gain some weight. You know, I, I was not taught how to love myself, but right now with my current coach, he's, I've been with him, oh my gosh, four years now. And, and he prepares me to um, like think about like what happens once you go into improvement season, what is expected and like, know that this is okay. This is actually healthy that these things happen, like putting on some body fat, it is actually necessary. Um, and so, and like, and really understanding what's going on in my life outside of competing right. and, and how we can really get ahead of these moments that can end up being tough where we end up being really hard on ourselves. Right. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And that's kind of, I mean, I've, I feel like that's the first time I've heard it said like that. And I really appreciate that. And I feel like it, things are changing. And this is also why I speak more to athletes who come from sports that value perfectionism. So gymnastics, dance, cheer, diving, uh, figure skating, all the subjective perfection versus, you know, scoring a goal or it's like more facts making a basket. Yeah, it's like you can't yeah, it's deny like that. that. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there's and there's not that in these sports. That's why the self-love, the 
recovering perfectionism, the uh, obsession, the all of that comes from this kind of foundation that we built. And I believe the, the culture is starting to change and I'm seeing it, but uh, we still have a long way to go, yeah. obviously. Um, and speaking of perfectionism, so how has perfectionism affected your life positively and negatively? It's so hard for me to understand now, understand like knowing that I have OCD, what is actually perfectionism and what is my OCD? Um, because there are some things like, for example, my schedule, like people think, oh, you're, you're so regimented. Like you, I need to know what's going on at every minute of the day. And I have a really hard time deviating from my plan. I'm not spontaneous at all. Um, and so people just thought like, you're just like, you're a perfectionist. I think that's OCD. Um, but I think with like perfectionism, when it comes to my, like my body, I think that has been an extremely long journey and kind of like where you just said that a lot of these things are now starting to change for me. I had to really see like other people experience what I experienced because for so long, I thought that I just was so messed up and so annoyingly like perfect with everything that I do. But the more people share about these things on social media, the more I'm like, ah, that's me too. Whether it is actual perfectionism or OCD or whatever. Um, so like that's something that I feel I have not, I don't know if I'll ever master it or if anyone can master it, but I'm still on that journey of like being able to let go of certain things and understand that it's okay if things don't happen the way that you planned it. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh God, that is probably my biggest area Mm -hmm. of opportunity right now. (laughs) I mean, hey, you're in Austin right now. You, uh, that's not what you were expecting in life, you know, yeah, and you did yeah. it and you're there. So <laughs> yeah. things happen. Um, so you've mentioned the things that are like that are specific to you, the things that you deal with. But is there anything that you feel is really important that people know about you? Instead of like, I am this, I have that, but like the essence of you, the consciousness of you, what is important that people know about you as a human, as a soul? That's an interesting question. I've never been asked that. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think I've ever asked it. So, I mean, maybe, but it's, yeah, it's a hard question. It's a weird question, but I think a lot of times we, you know, identify with these labels and even our name, but you are not your name. You are not your career. You are not the sport you do mm-hmm. all of that. So what is something that, you know, almost like returning to who you intrinsically are and were before society told you what you should be all of that? What's important to know? So one of the most important things for me, I, there's this saying, it's like, I'm going to butcher it. Basically people always remember how, you made them feel Mm -hmm. right. Not necessarily what was said or what was done, but how they felt because of you. And that is something Mm -hmm. that I focus on a lot. Um, I really, (laughs) I try to preach kindness 
as much as possible. And I say all the time, like, don't be a dick. But just don't be a dick. Don't be an a-hole. Like, just be kind. And, like, I'm not saying that I'm perfect in that. Like, I can be a dick. I can be an a-hole. Um, but really, at the end of the day, as hard as it is to maybe deal with people who are not kind to you, like, kind of killing them with kindness, like, they will remember that. And you never know how that could maybe turn their day around or how they could then spread that to the next person. It's just a complete domino effect. And so for me, I have always, my entire life, just wanted to be kind to people. And maybe that comes from, you know, having been bullied as a younger person because of all these undiagnosed things and just being weird and quirky. Um, I just wanted people to be kind to me and I wanted to be kind to others. And so I think that like at the, you know, take stripping all the things away from me and my career and like training and my name, all of that, just being kind, like just kindness. Um, that is something that, you know, I, I do want people to know about me because I also will share information on social media and people take it the wrong way. <laughs> I'm like, I never have bad <laughs> intentions on things that I do or say. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll just always preach kindness because like there's just too much crap in this world. And, you know, most of us are experiencing some sort of negativity in some shape or form. And so I just, you know, like it, it, it's not, it, it's not hard to be kind. And it's like, like, what do you have to lose by being kind? Mm -hmm. Right. I agree with that. And what you were saying, I totally agree with that. The, the, you never know how your kindness will affect somebody's day because somebody like maybe somebody is in your 2014 in that moment, in that depression, in that suicidal space, which, you know, I've been in before as well. Uh, just that one person or that one thing being said, you don't know how it can be taken by that person. You could say the same thing to somebody else and it's not taken in the same way, but maybe that person needs to hear it or see it or feel it. So from all of your mental health experiences, how are you grateful for your depression and anxiety and ADHD and OCD? How, in what ways are you grateful for those things? Honestly, I, if I had been given the opportunity or the option to go back to when I was created and like remove these things from my life, I don't think that I would because my, I like to say that I turn my tests into testimonies and the things that I experience are not uncommon. And so what I decided a few years ago, like just on social media, I felt really um, kind of fake by the, the stuff that I was putting out there and feeling like I was trying to be like all these influencers and like, and it just wasn't aligning with me. And one day I was like, screw this. I'm just going to talk about depression and like, whatever. I just was so over it. And I feel that as hard as all these things are, I have the opportunity and platforms to share my experiences for others to like resonate with. And not that I ever like wish that upon anyone. I'm just like, so glad that, that people can have access to my stories. Um, 
a lot of, I'll get all people say like, oh, you must have a lot of dudes sliding in your DMs. I'm like, actually, no, it's people like, thanks for like sharing your story about depression. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm very grateful for those experiences because I get to help others, like indirectly help others just by sharing my story, whether it is someone came across the post and they're like, I experienced that, or they come across the post and they're like, my significant other experiences that. So now I can learn more on like how to show up for them. And so, um, just, just that ability to help others through my crap is like, there's so much gratitude behind that. Um, so that's why I just, I really wouldn't go back and change anything. And I, I, love who I am. And a lot of these things mm -hmm. as maybe like as negative as they are really make up who I am. Right. Totally agree with that. And I feel like that's very, very accurate. I think a lot of us who experience troubles and traumas and things like that, we wouldn't remove them necessarily because we see that that's part mm -hmm. of our story. And I hope that anybody listening to this understands that if you have problems, you're human. If you don't have problems, the only people who don't have problems mm -hmm. are dead people, which that's a problem. also is not, <laughs> that's, that's not also, yeah. It's also not necessarily the solution. Oh, well, if I'm, if I just kill myself, then I don't have to right. deal with problems. Having problems is a gift. I was going to say, is that the plural? Having problems is not our, yes. Having problems is a gift because it means you're alive. It means you are here. It means you're able to work with that problem and overcome it. It means you're able to relate to other people, to help others. You're, relate, you're able to work through it yourself and save your own life, all of those kinds of things. So if we can shift that perspective, and I've, I've done a speech on it before, of equating problems and sadness and depression with something that we shouldn't have or shouldn't be feeling, it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. So I hope we're able to teach our children, teach the next generation, how they can deal with those things and how to view them and how to manage them. So how do you handle and manage these emotions when they resurface now? Oh gosh. Well, right now I am in cognitive behavioral therapy and I've done a lot of therapy in the past and it's been more talk therapy, which there's nothing wrong with that. I just, <laughs> I found that I was showing up to like, you know, meet with a new therapist. I'm like, all right, let me tell you what my problems are and where they come from. And these therapists would be like, well, she's a little self-aware. I don't know what to do with her. And so I <laughs> yeah, got to this point yeah. where it's like, people were like, I don't know how to help you, but I knew I needed more. So mm -hmm. by doing CBT, I'm able to do like actually have tools that, um, or, and like I have homework outside of my sessions as well. So I asked my therapist. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it is the best thing ever. And like, I have like journal entries and like, I will, I'm not a journaler by any means, but for me, I experience a lot of like crappy days outside of my sessions, obviously. And so then I can journal them in the moment and then she can see them when we meet. Cause like a couple days go by and you're like, seems so small now, but I was really upset the other day. And so this, I could actually capture it in the moment. So that has been part of what I've been doing lately. And it's been under a year that I've been doing CBT. 
Um, but that has been like the main thing for me because I've been doing everything else as well. Like I eat well, I get a lot of sleep, I work out, you know, everyone's like, have you meditated? And I've tried everything. And so this is something just like learning like tools that work for me. Like that is what I've been doing when like different episodes come up or like I have these sad feelings. Um, a lot, a lot of the feelings that I get are of hopelessness. And so being able to like capture what I'm going through by journaling it and sending it to my therapist has been like super helpful because then we can really break it down and figure out where the hell that's coming from. And unpack it. Right. So for anyone who's younger or anyone who has children or someone in their life who is dealing with those things, what's your advice to them? for how to navigate maybe new emotions. Cause I, both of us, like we've experienced these things gone to the bottom and had to work our, ourself back to functioning. But for a lot of young people, when you think about someone who's 16, right, the ma- majority of their life, uh, you know, might be, I mean, in the majority of life they're, they're in school and they're surrounded by this stuff. But by the time we're 80, the majority of our life is just mm-hmm. good luck. You're, you're in adulthood, you know? Um, so, so for these new emotions or the things that come up, we all heard the cliches and the, we dealt with the magazines like, Oh, there's a bully do this or like use your secret diary, all the nineties mm-hmm. stuff. What is the non cliche advice for these young folks or the, the ones listening who ha- have someone in their life? Um, to navigate these new emotions. I don't know if it's like non-cliche per se, because like, it, I mean, it's talked about, but like having a strong support system, which can be hard. I mean, you know, there. What does that look like? Like, what is it? I mean, system? and it can look a little different for everyone. Um, you know, for me, I have a support system of people who experience what I go through. Like you, I have, um, you know, a support system, like people in my family who may not understand because, you know, they haven't been through it or something like that, but they are there for me to, to reach out. Like, and it can be hard to find those people. And I think just in life outside of even like depression and things like that, just finding a really strong group of friends. Right. But, um, it's scary to talk about, especially when these feelings are newer. Um, however, what I will say is the people who are, meant to be in your life will accept you the way you are and will love you the way you are and will be there for you. And what I share with people in my life who may not experience or understand what I go through, I just tell them like, just don't try to fix me. Like all I want for people to ask when I'm in like a down moment is what do you need from me at this right now? Because for me, it's always different. Um, And sometimes that's very overwhelming when you're in that place. You're like, I don't even know because I can't even think. So sometimes you can offer, maybe it's like picking up groceries or walking a dog or, you know, just a simple task, or do you need me to come over and sit and make Mm -hmm. sure you shower? Like just things like that. Sometimes giving options can help, but if you just ask someone like, how can I support you? That may help. And if they come back with like, I have no idea, then give those ideas. But I like, I like that. Well, and I like to, to go through this with people in my life, like when I'm not in those situations, because 
when people are like, why didn't you yes. call me? I'm like, that's the last thing I thought about <laughs> when yeah. I was sad. Yeah. Um, so like, right. that's why I like to share things on my Instagram stories, like posts that resonate with me. It's like, Oh, if you know someone who's like depressed or here's things to look for when someone can like, mm-hmm. they just don't think about reaching out. Um, but I will tell mm-hmm. people in my life before these things happen, like, Hey, if you see me acting this way or like experiencing this, like these are some things that you could do to help me, um, like just kind of yeah. navigate everything. Um, so I, I like prepare people in my life, you know? So yeah, it's exactly the way it should. Same yes. with relationships. You same with roommates, you talk about things and you plan for when mm-hmm. these things happen instead of trying to figure something out when you're in the middle of yeah. a cluster. Um, it's, it's so much more healthy because then you have that awareness already when it pops up, you're like, ding, that's it. And then you go back and you see, okay, what was that that I needed to do instead of being completely caught in this emotional storm, whether it's anger or it's uh, sadness, whether it's depression, whether it's overwhelm and stress, all of those make it really, really hard for our brain to, uh, make decisions yeah. correctly mm-hmm. or even like understand what, what decisions we're making. Um, that's, I mean, those are the main questions that I really wanted to get through. Is there, is there anything else specifically that you wanted to share or get out there or maybe even ask listeners, um, so that they can follow oh, up geez. with you? Um, so what I'm really trying to, like get out there on like my own social media is like now having been very recently diagnosed on the spectrum and like before that has been, and it's still there, but there's such a stigma around that. I feel like we're doing a a really great job. It's a little slow as a society on like destigmatizing depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, but as a female, some of these things are not as, they're not as noticeable that like ADHD and mm-hmm. boys and men way different than in girls and yes. women. And there is like little yeah. to no research around that. And so that is why, yeah. you know, like having been diagnosed at 33 with those things, I'm like, okay, now I just feel like there, you know, there was such a stigma around like autism. Um, I know I, I won't, say this person's name, but someone in my life shared with a friend, like, I think I might be on the spectrum. And their best friend was like, Oh, I wouldn't tell people that. And that pissed me off. Mm. (laughs) What? (laughs) So a lot of what I was doing at at snap before I was laid off since I was in recruiting and, and the hiring was slowing down as I was trying to figure out how can we improve the interview process for those on the spectrum? Um, or like, how can we improve like once you're in the company, like what, mm-hmm. what other things can we provide for these, for these people, um, to help them be better in their work? Because you know, for me, it was such a blessing working from home because I noticed that in the office was not productive at all. I was like, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Um, <laughs> and especially in tech, there's one, there's so much going on. Two, the people that are, you know, engineers or they're really head down focused, they are that hyper focus or they are on the spectrum. And, and that is like, that is like a hot spot for 
I don't know how to like, I guess people on the spectrum to yeah. need resources to be productive, to right. keep things growing is right. what I'm trying to say. Um, so I yeah, and, and so, I mean, that's why I think the layoff impacted me the most because I felt like what I was doing, like my, my day-to-day job was very mm. important. I got to help people find jobs, but now I was getting to go even deeper into the entire process because I didn't necessarily have that myself. And so I'm really mm-hmm. trying to just like bring more awareness around these things because again, just like the depression and the anxiety, there are so many more people that experience these things that we don't realize. Cause I always get people saying like, you don't seem like you're on the spectrum or you don't seem like you have OCD. I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, if you only knew. So I'm saying the yeah. mild, but like spectrum. if people only knew spectrum. like some of the shit that like frustrates me, like for example, mm-hmm. my, my bowls have to be stacked a very particular way, but my plates, right, I don't care. And people right. are like, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I do that too. And I'm like, okay, well, if I walk away from it, I will have a complete mental breakdown if they're not stacked properly, you know? So also like on the same note, I'm wanting people to understand how to use these terms correctly because people will be like, Oh, I'm so OCD about X, Y, Z. And it's like, are you actually though? Like that's not, was an adjective? Like you mm-hmm. can't sit here and say I'm OCD about it. People with OCD, mm-hmm. like, yeah, mine may be a little more on the mild side. Some people like it is yeah. debil- debilitating. Cannot. So like people also right. using those terms incorrectly, I don't know. It irks me to the core. Um, but yeah, I'm just like bringing more mm-hmm. of this, like to surface as much as I can. Um, but I think for like people listening, um, who might relate, I, what I encourage people to do is to like, I don't know, there's so much out there on the internet that's false, but do some research around, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever you are relating to and like, whether it is OCD or ADHD and, and see like, is this something that you resonate with? And also just finding people on Instagram. I mean, I, the reason why I got diagnosed is because I saw a TikTok of a girl talking about how she's on the spectrum and I was like, Whoa, that's me. (laughs) So like doing your research Mm -hmm. and find other Mm -hmm. people that, that you can relate to. And I know healthcare is like really tough and not everyone has the, you know, has healthcare or great healthcare. Um, but if you can get any kind of diagnosis, like that is a really great start because once you then for sure kind of like, know, like, okay, this is where I'm at. Then you can start taking the necessary steps to like, you can't cure these things, but you can find these tools to implement into your life. So life is more enjoyable and easier for you. And then you can start those conversations with your support system and your loved ones. So that's kind of like my unsolicited advice. Mm-hmm. And make sure that when you are you are doing the research, that you are yeah. finding it from credible sources. What are credible sources, right? Not necessarily social media, but and not necessarily always the never news. news. <laughs> but if you look at sites that are dot <laughs> never the news, look at sites that are dot edu, dot gov sometimes, um, dot. ORG, those ones are usually dedicated to that specific research. They're doing studies, not a blog. 
uh, not a like a health magazine or a cosmopolitan like those ones. Those are just writers who are writing about a topic and then they go to experts and they try to summarize it for mass consumption. So if you go straight to the source or you go to, um, you know, scientific journals or uh, what is it called when you when they work with each other um, and it's like at all those kinds of journal, like scientific journals, but it's like mm-hmm. done by multiple people. I can't, there's a particular name for it. Um, but those kinds of things are really going to help you. Yes, they're dense, uh, but that's where you that's where the more you know about what you're going through, the less scary and foreign it seems. So if somebody wants to talk with you after this experience, they relate to you, they want to know more, they want to know the resources that you're using or, you know, the kind of therapy, whatever it is, how can people yeah, get a hold of you? Yeah, just Instagram message. Like, that's the best way. My handle is egales, E-G-A-L-E-S. Looks like I don't know how to spell eagles. Um, but yeah, just a DM there is is the best. That's the platform I use the most. Like I have a TikTok, but I don't I've never I don't have anything on there. Um, which I will say in the near future, my goal with TikTok is to make it about being a neurodiverse human. So my Instagram is a lot of fitness and just like my life, whatever. And I do talk about these topics, but I do want a platform that focuses more on being neurodivergent. So stay tuned on that one. But yeah, just Instagram DM. And your TikTok handle no, is same. It is neurospicy.egales. Yeah, I've coined the term neurospicy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've seen. <laughs> Amazing. I'm super excited. Hopefully, any of you listening got something out of it, you related to it you want to know more, um, please definitely reach out to her. And if you have any questions in general about training like a gymnast, about, um, you know, anything that we've discussed on any other episode in this season or past seasons, please let me know. You can always DM at Daniel Gray Fit or at Train Like a Gymnast, or you can email us at team at trainlikeagymnast.com. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can get a discount at trainlikeagymnast.com just for listening to these episodes? It's true. When you go to checkout, just use the promotion code LISTEN in all caps for a surprise. If you loved everything you heard in this episode, be sure to leave us a review and let us know what you want to hear more of. Until next time, train with purpose.